Uh, I hope you're not disappointed that uh, Pastor John is not here, but uh, we'll make do. Uh, what I'd like to say is that um, Brother Bill's message from the scriptures, the songs that were, were sung, the hymns that were, were sung and chosen, all speak about heaven, doesn't it? But let me say something here. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And I pray that you're all prepared to see that Beulah land, to see that city that is built on a hill, to see the, the Lord Jesus Christ on his throne. So, uh, again, regarding, uh, and there's a few things I like to say before I get into the message. Uh, it's wonderful to see as many people that are out here uh, for this morning message. But where are you tonight? And this is something that Pastor and I have spoken about many times. You know, the Lord's Day is a day of worship. And it's the Lord's Day. And he deserves a full day of worship. Amen? A full day. Now, I know that's not sitting well with some, but he deserves a full day of worship. And there is that interlude between the morning message and the evening message. And that's all it is. It's an interlude. In order to have a full day of worship, which the Lord deserves, you need to come out for the evening message. So please, keep that in mind. I know, you know, pastor won't say that, and I'm not saying it just because I'm giving the evening message. Don't get that wrong. But uh, again, I have to impart to you that the Lord's day, he deserves a full day. So having said that now, uh, I think that you would agree with me that we are living in uncertain times, maybe more so than, than any time in my past. I remember being a teenager and living uh, with the war hanging over our, our head as far as a Cuban Missile Crisis. Anybody remember that? Well, that was real. Today it's only a historic event, but if you were old enough to live through that, that was real. You expected the end at any time. And, of course, we've, we've had other crises but this, this time around, I think we're, we seem to be living in very uncertain times. More so, I think, uh, than ever before, we're concerned or maybe even worried about our physical well-being. And, you know, with this pandemic going around, I think we all have that in the back of our mind. And as far as our physical well-being is concerned, you go to the doctor and you can never be sure of the diagnosis you're hoping for a good diagnosis. Sometimes you're just hoping for any diagnosis. But the you know doctors today, they, they just kind of weave around and give you pills for this and do that and send you to someone else. But I know of someone, no one ever could diagnose a problem more so than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? No one could diagnose a problem, whether it's a physical problem or whether it's a mental problem or especially a spiritual problem. And we're going to turn to the scriptures in just a moment to see how the Lord works these things out. Uh, yet today, many still reject the one who can treat them and cure them from the most disastrous of all illnesses. What is that? Sin. Sin. The doctor cannot cure you of your sin but only Jesus can. So now, uh, you know, the world 
The world wants a Jesus, the Son of Mary. They don't want Jesus, the Son of God. The world wants Jesus, the great teacher, the teacher of many words. They don't want Jesus, the eternal word. The world wants Jesus or looks at Jesus as dying for his beliefs. And many have died for their beliefs. They want a Jesus that died for his beliefs. They don't want a Jesus who died for your sin, for the sin of the world. That's a different Jesus. Uh, This is not the scripture that I'm going to, but, you know, in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, I believe it is, it says, Behold, I bring unto you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. You know, the first missionaries that went to the islands of Hawaii in around 1820, I believe it was, the the missionary, the first missionary speaker, the preacher that got up and gave his message, that first message, that was the opening he told to the Hawaiian people out there who had never heard this message before. He says, Behold, I bring you glad tidings. What is glad tidings? Glad news. I bring you glad news. I bring you the gospel, right? What is the gospel? Well, those are the good tidings. That's the good news. The gospel is the good news. I heard a great message this morning from Charles Stanley about the gospel. And we always kind of cubbyhole the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection. And that's wonderful to say that and to think it and to know it. But the gospel really incorporates a wider view. The gospel also incorporates what we've just celebrated, the birth of our Savior. Because that's what the Jews were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah. We are grateful that the Messiah came and became our Savior. But, you know, it it is the good news of the gospel message. You know, uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And just as a footnote, we'll be going over this one portion of Scripture in Matthew next week. So if you're interested in this message, come out next Sunday, be part of the Sunday School program, and you'll hear Matthew's version of this. But I chose to look at Mark's version of this, and I did it for one particular reason. Uh, Not yet, brother. Not yet. I'm not there yet. Thank you, brother. You're on target. Uh, You know... Spurgeon was asked once if his message that he was going to give was for saints or sinners. Now, I I believe what he meant was saints saved or unsaved, because even saints are sinners, right? We're sinners saved by grace, but we're still sinners, even those who are saved among us. But I I have a, a book from Spurgeon, and I had to copy this because his reply was just perfect. And let me read it, if you'll bear with me. He says, A friend inquired of me yesterday, Will you preach on Sunday morning to saints or to sinners? I could not at the moment answer him, 
but I afterwards thought within myself, if I preach concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I shall kill two birds with one stone and give both saints and sinners a profitable theme for thought. There is but one message of the gospel, and it has a voice to all. Saints know no sweeter music than the name of Jesus, and sinners know no richer comfort than his person and his work. We preach to all when we preach him who is all in all. Christ comes as life to the dead, and he is equally life to the living. I trust there will be at this time be a word in season both to those who fear God and to those who fear him not. Now, I do pray that I'm talking to people this morning who fear God. But if not, this message uh, could be your entrance into that place that we call heaven. So, if you'd like to stand, if you're op open to the book of Mark, chapter 10, and we're going to start with verse 17. And this portion is known as the rich young ruler. And it, it's funny because this has been referenced uh, by Pastor John last week. And I said to myself, wait a minute, I'm putting a message together on it. I hope he doesn't go too far. And I shouldn't think that way because, you know, a good message can be repeated over and over again by different people. So shouldn't, I shouldn't be thinking that way. Anyway, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. And asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, master, all these things I have, I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever, whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open up this portion of your word, Lord, just help us to fully taken to ourselves the, the meaning of this portion of Scripture, Lord. We, we desire uh, not only to be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. And there is a, a great lesson here for us today, for those uh, who do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, and those of us who are here who need to look a little deeper into our relationship with you. So we desire, Lord, to preach to both those peoples. Again, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for each and every soul that is here today. We pray, Lord, for a, a blessing upon their heart and their soul as you open up the, this word to them. May it be a light uh, to their soul. May their eyes be opened. May they receive this message as it is from you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So, the rich young ruler. And the reason that I picked this gospel over Matthew's gospel for four words, four words that our Lord spoke. 
What are those four words? They're found in verse 21. One thing thou lackest. I like to prepare this message on those four words. One thing thou lackest. Um, And that word lackest really can mean one thing is missing. One thing is in deficit. You have a deficit here. You know, for the unsaved, the one thing that's missing is to be saved by the Lord. For the, for the ones who are saved, the deficit is that we don't have a closer walk with the Lord. And sometimes we seem, some of us seem to be satisfied with that distance that we have. The Lord wants to bring us in, but we want to keep a distance from entering fully into the relationship that he wants to have for us. So it says, look at here. It says, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get to heaven? That should be a question. If you're unsaved today, that should be a question. What can I do to get into that beautiful place that we refer to as heaven? Well, uh, first, let's look at some of the things here that he didn't lack. We're going to, Jesus mentions the one thing, the most important thing that this young ruler lacked. And he was a young ruler because if you look at, uh, I believe it's Luke 18, 18, he's referred to as a young rich ruler. Doesn't uh, uh, stipulate that here, but in, in Luke's gospel, he refers to this man as a young, rich, young ruler. So we know that he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler, but he's lacking one thing. Well, let's look at some of the things that he doesn't lack, right? You know, this is a new year, and in, in the new year, we like to take inventory of ourselves, or we should take inventory of ourselves, find out, you know, where we're pleasing the Lord the past year, where we need to improve those things that were displeasing to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit can tell you where you stand. So let's take a look at some of the things that weren't lacking in this young man. First of all, he was earnest, wasn't he? He was earnest. It says, and he had gone forth in the way. He came running. He came running to the Lord. So there was an earnestness about him. He was reverent. How do I know that? Look at this. And he kneeled to him. So he was earnest. He was seeking the Lord. He was running to the Lord. And he was uh, humble also because, again, he was kneeling. And he was, had a longing in his spirit because he, he had to ask this one question that was bothering him. That one question is, what can I do to inherit eternal life? You know, there is such a thing as eternal life. It doesn't end when you take your last breath. Some people will will believe that, and they just hope for an eternal sleep. It's not eternal sleep. It's not that at all. There is a life after this life, and it depends on what your decision is in this life, where you will spend that next life, either in a place called hell, which was not prepared for you, was prepared for the devil and his demons, for Satan and his demons, but that's exactly where you're going to be throughout eternity. 
So he, we know that he was earnest, he was running, he was reverent, he was humble, he was longing because he asked the right question that was troubling him. This question was troubling him. And uh, he refers to the Lord as good master. You see, that was his problem right there. He didn't look at the Lord as Messiah. He didn't look at the Lord as Savior. He looked at the Lord as a good teacher. He said, good master. And there were many masters at that time. You go into the synagogue, and there were many teachers at that time. So he was elevating Jesus to maybe the, the best preacher of that time, the best teacher of that time. That wasn't good enough. Because he even questions him. He says, why are you calling me good teacher? Only There's only one good, and that is God. Now, that's not saying that Jesus was not comparing himself to God. He was... He was challenging this young man. You know, you come to me and call me a teacher, and you call me good, but there's only one good, and that is God in heaven. That is the Lord's way of saying he is the eternal God also. You have to see that in here. So those are the things that he did not lack. But what about some of the things uh, that he did lack? Uh, It says... Verse 19, thou knowest the commandments, and he, and he rattles off uh, five commandments, or I think six in Matthew, I think it's five. And that these commandments have to do with his relationship to his fellow human being, his fellow citizens. All of these have to do with that. And this man says, well, I, I've done all that. I've done all that. What more can I do? And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. So he had, this is a man who had position, he had wealth, he had authority. We call him the rich young ruler. So he had many things. But he's still asking, Lord, I have all these things, but I feel empty inside. I don't feel fulfilled. I'm missing something. What can it be? I want to see eternal life in heaven, but I don't see how I can get there. What, um, what do I have to do? So you see, he's looking at uh, the Lord and saying, Lord, I have to do something in order to gain eternal life. And we know that that's completely, that's religion. That's a religion of works. Lord, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? And there are many religions out there that still hold to that doctrine. What do you have to do? So he says, and he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. And then Jesus does something here that I think is very touching. Very touching. Uh, He says, then Jesus beholding him, in other words, he, he looked straight at him. Beholding him, loved him. He loved him. I think that's overwhelming. And said unto him, one thing thou lackest. But let's focus on that one little phrase there that says, Jesus beheld him and loved him. You know, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 31. 
If you don't think, if you're here today and you don't think God loves you, this book is filled with God's love for every one of us, saved and unsaved, Greek, Jew, and barbarian. He has a love for all. But look at uh, Jeremiah 31, look at verse 3. The Lord had appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So his loving kindness, God's great love for his creation, his desire for you to be drawn to him. And isn't the Lord attractive? What is, there's nothing unattractive about our Lord. He is attractive. People are drawn to him. I was drawn to him. I hope everyone here at one point in their life can, you know, point to a time when they were drawn to him and they gave themselves. And, you know, just as as an aside, today is the first Sunday, the first Lord's Day of a new year. Wouldn't today be a great time for someone here, if they're not already saved, to give themselves to the Lord? to surrender to the Lord. I couldn't think of a better day than the first Lord's Day of a new year. And you who are sitting there that are saved, today is a great day for you to recommit yourselves to the Lord. And you'll know I did it on the first Lord's Day of year 2022. You can't forget that. So here the Lord looked at him and beheld and he loved him. Now, I don't know if this man, you know, because we're going to read a little further. I don't know if this man actually came to the Lord, thought about it, went back and followed the Lord. The scripture is kind of silent on that. But the fact that the Lord looked at him and loved him, I think that speaks volumes. And, and we read in Jeremiah that the, the Lord is always seeking us. He's always looking for us. He's looking for you to come to him. So here, now, uh, he possessed both position and wealth. Because he says, all these things I have done. And then look at uh, verse 22. And he, he was sad at the saying and went away grieved. He went away grieved. Why did he go away grieved? Well, the scripture tells us because he had great possessions. So he possessed both position and wealth. What was his problem? Isn't that what everyone here would like to have? Position, authority, wealth, stat, you know, status. That's what the world is seeking, isn't it? And the people in the world are seeking that. And he had that. And yet he knows that he was lacking something, and the Lord knew exactly He diagnosed that man's problem immediately. You lack one thing. You lack one thing. So his problem was uh, not in his wealth or his position, but he made his wealth, he made his riches his idol. His idol. And the problem here was that he could not part with them. He could not part with them. He wanted to have both. He wanted to have both his riches, which was his idol, and he wanted eternal life in heaven. 
He wanted both. You cannot have both. The Lord forces you to make that kind of a choice. The Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, we always think of mammon as money, but it's not only that. Mammon could, could be anything that opposes you to God. Anything in your life that is in opposition to God becomes mammon. It's not just money, although for the greater part of the, of the world, it is money. Take a look at the richest people in the world. You don't hear them talking too much about the day they got saved. So at mammon, you cannot have both. You cannot have both. A decision must be made. So when this first missionary got up and said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people, he was giving them the gospel. He, he went on to give them the gospel. Now, Luke 2.10, that's a Christmas message. But he did not go on further and give them a Christmas message. He gave them a gospel message. But in a way, you cannot separate the two, right? Because that, that baby Jesus grew up. You know, the, the, the scripture says that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, you know, the child being born speaks of his manhood, of his humanness. He was born of Mary. He was born the same way everyone else is born, through Mary. So unto us a child is born. But it also says unto us a son is given. That son, that's not referring to Mary giving her son Jesus to be crucified, that speaks of the Father in heaven giving his son, his beloved son, to be crucified on a cruel cross. A son is given. A son is given. So that message of glad tidings should give us great joy. Amen? But what is, what, is the, what is the Bible telling us? What is Jesus telling us? He's telling us that we need to give up your idol, whatever that might be, give it up. It could be, and I'm not going to start enumerating them because, you know, I might hit too many. In my own life, I have a few. And I've had to give them up, and I'm in, some of them are in the process. Because truly, you and I should desire a closer walk with the Lord. And we have so many things that stand between us and the Lord so that we can get close. If I want to get close to my wife and give her a hug and she has all these books or all these magazines and she's holding this, I cannot get close to her. Or if I'm doing the same, rather, if I'm holding all these things, I have my baseball bat and my baseball glove and my football helmet and, I, and I'm holding all of those things and my wife is looking for a hug, I can't get close to her. Not as close as we should be. So we, we put these possessions and these idols in front of the Lord. Also, the Lord doesn't want us to withhold anything from him. And we're good at that. Let's be honest. We're good. We say, Lord, you know, uh, I know I'm your child now. I know you died for me. You shed your precious blood for me. I, I, I believe that my sins have been atoned for. That because you died on that cross, I don't have to die on that cross. I don't have to face judgment. But what do we do? Well, what do we do is that we withhold some things from him. 
You're saying, Lord, you know, this part of my life is just so dear to me. I'm going to keep that. The Lord, does, the Lord is saying, no, you cannot. He, that's what he's telling this rich young ruler. No, you cannot. So the, the, the poor man, they, he's called a rich man, but I, I call him a poor man. He wasn't ready to give up all those hindrances, all those things that hinder that close relationship or even that initial relationship with the Lord, that initial relationship that the Lord wants, to re- that you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. So, it, And then he says here, uh, one thing thou lackest, only one thing. You know, you could, you could be lacking a lot of things this morning. You could be lacking wealth. You can be lacking stature. You can be lacking position. Uh, but the one thing that the Lord is looking at that you don't want to lack is entrance into heaven. You don't want to lack surrendering to the Lord. And that's what he's getting at here. And he was sad and with that saying. He was sad that the Lord told him one thing you lacks. What was that one thing? Well, the one thing that he lacked was surrender. He was not willing to surrender to the Lord. Because surrendering to the Lord meant giving up things. And you know, it's a, it's a funny thing about the Lord. He may ask you to give up something to see if you're willing to do that. He may not require that of you. He may not require that of you. But he may ask you. You know, Jesus asked Peter three times, right? Peter, lovest thou me? Peter, lovest thou me? Peter, lovest thou me? What was Peter's response those times? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord. Well, it's the same thing with us. We say, we love the Lord. Yes, Lord, I love you. But what is our life like? Have we surrendered everything to the Lord? That's what he wants. You cannot say, I love the Lord and live a worldly life. You cannot say, I love the Lord and then not surrender your life to him. In every category, in every compartment of your life needs to be given over to the Lord. And that takes some, that takes some doing, takes some time. But that's what the Lord is requiring from you and I. Uh, so when we look at this portion of scripture, I get back to those opening line. Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. So, you know, as we look at the good tidings, good tidings, the gospel, what are the good tidings? Well, the good tidings is, and of course that was the angel appearing to the shepherds, telling them, behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. But what were the glad tidings? Well, the glad tidings was that a Savior has come. A Savior is born. Thousands of years, we're looking for the Savior. He is born now in time. In time, it was always in the heart and mind of God to do this. But now it's come to a point in time where it's happened. The Messiah has come. The Savior has come. He's born in Bethlehem. And we just went through the Christmas message last week. So a Savior has come. A child is born. 
a son is given. For what purpose was this child born? Well, the purpose was to pay the penalty for our sins. He did a lot of healing. He did a lot of preaching. But his main purpose was to come and die for our sins, to die for your sins and my sins, to die for our sins. That's why he came into this scene. He left the glories of heaven to do that. Imagine that. And he knew this from eternity past, that this, would, that this day would come upon him. And he never flinched. He never turned back. So that was his purpose, to pay for the penalty of our sins, to bear in his own body our sins. Uh, now, because Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins, God will not require it from you. He paid the penalty for your sin. You will not have to pay for that penalty. When you stand before God, if you've accepted his son and the sacrifice, and it is a gift, it is a free gift, if you've accepted that, God will not require a double penalty. Because Jesus has paid for it, he's not going to ask, that's what's called double jeopardy, right? In our law today, he will not require you to pay for your sins because Jesus has borne them on the cross. That's good news. Those are, that's glad tidings in my book. Uh, and because Jesus has paid for that, we can stand before a holy and righteous God justified before him. Uh, if, if you haven't accepted Jesus, you cannot stand before a holy and, and righteous God. No way. You will be cast away into hell. Depart from me. I never knew you. That, those are terrible words. Depart from me. I never knew you. So when we stand before God, we will stand unafraid. Those of us who have accepted Jesus, we stand before a holy and righteous God unafraid. We stand before a, a holy and righteous God justified, unafraid, not cowering in his holiness, but standing there covered with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are free now, even now, while we have breath here, you and I are free from the power of sin and death over us. Death has no, we, we don't fear death, or we shouldn't fear death. And sin has no power. Yes, we sin, but it doesn't have the power to take our salvation away. Once saved, always saved. I believe in the doctrine of unconditional eternal security. It's preached in the gospel. It's taught. So that takes care of the, the, the good tidings, the good news. But what about the great joy? It said good tidings and great joy. Well, the fact that you're saved, now you have peace with God. You have peace with God. You know, there was a time before you got saved, and if you're not saved, let me say something to you today. You're at war with God. You are at war with God. Because you, there is an, uh, the Bible uses the word enmity. You have enmity. But we are no longer at war with God if we've accepted his son. Um, some of us will say, well, I'm not at war with God. Well, then they develop a, a condition called passive-aggressive. Yeah, they're not outwardly at war with God. They're not denying that there is a God. 
or they even may be in a fellowship and in church, and they think that, well, I'm here in church. I'm not at war with God, but if you haven't accepted the one way, remember I said heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. If you haven't prepared scripturally to be saved, scripturally saved, not by some church doctrine, but scripturally saved, well then, you know, you are still at war with God, enmity with God. Or, and if you don't think you are, you're being passive-aggressive. You, you, you like that term, passive-aggressive? I see that in a lot of people today. You know, they're, they're quiet, but they're passive-aggressive. And, and that's, how they, that's how their rebellion shows out, that passive-aggressiveness. So once we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, we have that relationship with the Father and the Son restored. Isn't that wonderful? We're no longer at war with God. We, we're part of his family now. How can anyone turn their back on such good news? You know, I don't understand that. But he's waiting to receive us to himself and show us that wonderful home that he has prepared. In my father's house are many dwelling places, mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Well, he's prepared that place. So... If we look at this, having heard all of this, we see the, the, this rich young man coming to the Lord himself and telling him, Lord, I have done all those things that you just said. I've done all of them. What more can I do? The Lord saying, you lack one thing. That one thing is you have not surrendered all to me. We, we sing that hymn, I surrender all. Right? Isn't that a beautiful hymn? I surrender all to thee I give, right? How, ma- how many of us can truly say that? Can truly say that. So uh, by not making a decision, you have made a decision, right? You can't sit on the fence anymore. You've heard the gospel message. You've heard it preached probably many times before, and yet you're struggling to receive the message. Well, you shouldn't. God wants you to receive the message. So, but you're struggling to receive this message, whether it's because you have trouble hearing it from that particular preacher or you're just not ready. But whatever the reason is, you need to respond. You need to respond. The offer, no matter who gives it out, whether it's me or someone on the TV or the radio or Pastor John or any other pastor, the gospel message is a message from God himself not just the vehicle that's being used. And that's all we are. We're just vehicles. We're vessels. But the gospel itself is what draws you. The Holy Spirit working with the gospel draws you to that surrender. And there comes a point in time when you have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. You can't be like this rich young man who wanted both. You have to choose. And you're going to have to choose Every time the gospel is given to you, you're going to have to choose every time the Holy Spirit pokes you to make that decision. You know, uh, before we close, and let's look at John. You know, well, I said John 3, 18, but everyone knows John 3, 16, right? I'm sure we do. 
But sometimes we stop there. I want to go on for a few verses further. So let's read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That should be enough to draw you right now. But he goes on to say, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You're part of the world, and he wants to, he wants to save you, and he did save you. But the response has to be made by you. And this is the verse I, I really was looking at, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So your choice is very simple. You need to believe in the only begotten Son of God. Because if you don't believe, you are already condemned. And if you die in that condemned state, there's only one place for you. That is eternal life in hell. If you surrender today and give your heart and soul and mind to the Lord, your eternal life is in heaven. That place that we, that we were singing about not too long ago. Uh, so I, I pray that the decision that you make is now. Uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit is even convicting both saint and sinner this morning. If you're a saint, if you're saved, I pray that the conviction is to surrender more of your life. Give him more of those things that you were unwilling to give him before. Even though you're saved, you always hold back. Give up that one thing or that two things or that dozen things that you're holding back and surrender and give it to him. If, of course, if you're unsaved, this message is truly for you to accept the Lord Jesus Christ now because now is the acceptable time. You don't know what happens when you leave this, this door, that door, through that door. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I, I hope that decisions will be made. Brother uh, Steve, if you would come forward, Sister Holly, we'll have our invitation. Remember, the invitation is for both of those who are saved and unsaved, for saints and sinners.